So I wanted to share a little bit today about the, my present practice. Um, I'm going to start with a little bit of um, sharing some of my life experience that many people that have been around for years have heard dots here and there of. Uh, so that's just a warning, don't fall asleep. <laughs> but uh, about 10 years ago, well, let's, let's, let's go back a little further than that about, uh, no, I'm not remembering the timing. So I'm just gonna start with, uh, my mother and father have both passed away over the years. That's not unusual for somebody who's uh, nearing 70, myself. And about 10 years ago, um, Alistair's mother passed away within the week that my, one of my older brothers passed away. And about five years on from there, my younger brother passed away. About three years ago, Alistair's father passed away. Oh, and between that, about four, three years ago, his sister passed away. Two years ago, his father passed away. And one year ago, a niece of ours passed away. She was only 29. And so I've, this year I've been feeling the accumulation is just like, working with loss. I feel like I'm losing something. What am I losing? I'm losing a sense of family. And in that, uh, identifying with a sense of family and feeling I'm, I'm losing my family on both sides. I'm losing, I'm losing a sister now and it probably won't be long before I lose a second sister. They're older than I am by 14 and 12 years. So that's not unusual, but it's just like, man, I'm losing that sense of family that I had not any idea of how much I identified with that sense of family. And, uh, but I've been working with it. That's been my practice to deal with this last loss of the niece was really, that one kind of tipped me. That was a hard one. That was unexpected. My younger brother was unexpected too, but, uh, but it wasn't surprising because he wasn't, he didn't take incredibly good health, uh, care of his health. Um, but the niece, that, that one kind of tipped me a bit. So it became my practice this past year of what am I, why am I really struggling with this one? And the practice was informing me with, I was checking in with Ajahn Pasano and Ajahn Tanisro. And I was, through their guidance, I began to see that I was losing this sense of this is mine, this is my family, and I am part of this, and I 
don't want it to change. I've had enough, I've had enough. Can we just stop changing now? Can we just all stay, stay alive? Let me go next. No, I take that back. <laughs> but it, it, it was interesting how when I finally saw my strong identification with sense of family and all the plans I had for where I fit in family, when I retire, what am, where do I fit into this family? What are we going to do next? Where are we going to go? This is Alistair's family is a family who has traveled a lot. So that was in the plans, you know, and so that's like, I don't know how this is all going to change. And I wasn't willing to accept that it was all changing. So it was about, and this is not a pleasant realization, but a fortunate one in that I was suffering over my own wants, my own needs, my own uh, sense of position within this family. It's all kind of crumbling away and this is what happens. You know, people die, apparently, one after another sometimes. You know, so when I could move from, when I could move my mind away from what I am losing to not dwell in this sense of self, then this whole um, space of compassion for the entire family and the friends who have lost members that I have lost opened up. And there's a remarkable difference in the experience of compassion for others than for feeling sorry for yourself, feeling sorry for what I lost and what I wanted and what I was planning was a, was not beautiful. It didn't lead to a beautiful, uplifting sense of mind and heart. And, and with that, I'll just share this really lovely little sentence from Lumpur Pasano, the cultivation of the path is always grounded upon qualities that lead to brightness, clarity, stillness, and happiness. And when we recognize that we are not feeling bright or still or calm or happy, we're off the path. This is a really good thing to recognize as opposed to adding more defiled, or more defiled thoughts or clinging on to, I'm better than this. No, apparently not. This is an experience that's up today. Right now, this doesn't feel good. Oh, okay, off the path. Just drop it. We can actually 
when we recognize that this piece of information of which we may be clinging to, I want it to be like this. I want Kitty back. Okay, can I get her back? No, can't get her back. Oh, that's really sad. Think of all the people that, that lost her. You know, drop this sense of self-referencing and open up to the bigger picture. And that feels very, very different. It brightens the mind and the heart, and then we can see what we can do. How can we contribute to this moment? When Alistair and I traveled with them, oh, let me put it this way. Al Alistair and I were having breakfast with Lumpur Pasano and his attendant, Tita, Tita, Ajahn Titapano, a couple months ago. <clears throat> and I don't remember why Lumpur Pasano explained that that was a niece that had a uh, kayaking accident and drowned, I immediately started crying. And I, I'm going to cry now. There's nothing wrong with grief. And it has been a year. I didn't expect this to come back again. But, you know, you just never know when it's going to come up. A healthy thing to do with it is just to be present. Present for it. It doesn't mean I've actually, I myself has, have actually not lost anything. I still have uh, her in my heart. I still have, thank you. <laughs> oh, there's two. <laughs> One for each eye. <laughs> and when, when we're not um, focusing on what, when we're not self-referencing, but just experiencing, then we can also be present for uh, the other elements in the room. So this was very, Stephanie going off and getting the um, tissue and jo Jessica uh, handing, it to me and being a little joke there, you can feel the gratitude. I can feel the gratitude. I can be present for the beauty that still is present, even during a grieving moment. That's lifting the heart, calmness comes back, happiness is present, it's all good. Uh, the path is all good and it includes challenging times. It includes challenging moods because a challenging mood does not have to uh, be referenced to myself. What have I lost? What am I, what's, what's going on now? Should I be embarrassed? Eh, that doesn't even come up. Well, apparently it did because I just said it, <laughs> but, but I'm not <laughs> embarrassed. This is the beauty of the path. Um, so we so there's all, all this, and I'm feeling really confident with the encouragement, the guidance that I've been receiving. Um, and I'm very, very, very grateful for it. And I 
start to refer to myself as I got this. <laughs> okay, this is I, I can do this work now. Thank goodness. So on a couple of days ago, I'll just put it that way. I don't remember what day of the week it was a couple of days ago this week. And I went to the dentist for a checkup. And uh, about six months ago, I went through a phase where I had to have a couple of molars pulled, uh, three, three different molars pulled. And uh, got a couple of fillings yet to get to do. And I was feeling really relieved. I, I neglected my teeth for many, many, many years and, uh, and thus, thus paid the price. And I went in again feeling the same kind of thing. I got this. We've dealt with it, got over this embarrassment of not having taken good enough care of my teeth, go back in there. Okay, we're taking care of it. And I sit down in the dentist chair and the dentist comes in. I'm just getting them cleaned. And dentist comes in to chat with me a little bit and inform me, okay, well, we need to make an appointment for those next two molars to come out. I'm just like, what? So that's five molars. <laughs> When he takes the next two out, I will have no bite in, for chewing in the back here because they won't meet. The molars are all, they won't, they won't meet. So I won't be able to chew for a couple of months. I'll have to have mush <laughs> until, it, until it heals. And then I'll, I'll get in some false uh, partials. But I was just like, he, when he said that, I was just like, <laughs> You know, oh, come on. I'm not, I don't need to lose my teeth on top of everything else. Do I, do I really have to go through this? Yeah, so apparently I don't completely got it. You know, I, I actually have lost sleep a couple of, for a couple of nights because I'm so stressed out about losing more teeth. I'll, I'll have all my front teeth but I'll have very few in the back. And I'm really surprised at how much that bothers me. <laughs> so the work carries on, you know, we just, the good news is that we see that we're attached and we know that there's a path to get unattached and that our awareness can actually land in a place where it's not attached to anything that comes and goes. So our moods come and go, our body comes and goes, our bones come and go, our family comes and goes that there is an awareness that we can connect to become conscious of that sees these things that come and go and itself never moves, never changes. And in that space, in that awareness, there isn't grief, there isn't, it itself is aware of grief, but it doesn't refer back to a self that comes and goes. So why we are stuck in this habit 
of identifying with things that have to pass away and then we suffer over it. Why do we do this? Why do we, why do we say, this is me? This is my family. Stop dying on me. That's what happens. We can be present as you have just witnessed with the support of good people, good family, such as all of you, all of us right here. We can be present and aware of this goodness without identifying about what it means about me and how am I going to maintain and nourish that. Just turning our awareness to that which doesn't rise and fall, but experiences it all. Ajahn Pasano, I'm going to read this little bit from Ajahn Pasano in this book called Don't Hold Back. And this section is called Two Aspects of Wisdom. And it's on page 84. Truth and Practice. The Buddha taught two ways that the Dhamma is expressed. One is the way of truth, the other the way of practice. Practice and truth rely on each other and are never separated. In the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha begins by addressing dukkha, suffering as the core problem of the human condition. All conditioned phenomena, the body or the mind, external or internal, refined or coarse, are unsatisfactory, impermanent, and empty of abiding self. Their nature renders them incapable of offering an enduring sense of wholeness. The way of truth sees this clearly. The way of practice involves the cultivation of the Noble Eightfold Path, the cultivation of virtue, concentration, and wisdom. This path provides a roadmap to freedom from dukkha. The cultivation of the path is always grounded upon qualities that lead to brightness, clarity, stillness, and happiness. There's a certain interface here that is intrinsic to the nature of the teachings and the nature of truth. There is dukkha and there is a capacity to apply wisdom to overcome dukkha. So we take these two aspects, truth and practice, to investigate and see what works for the overcoming of discontent and dis-ease. The Buddha refers to these two different elements of truth. The first element, the way things are, isn't the way we live our lives. We don't take the Buddha's first noble truth and say to ourselves, everything is suffering, so it's all hopeless and totally pathetic, and that's the end of it. Embedded in the teachings is a way of practice. The second element of truth, which relies on cultivating that which is completely har harmless and wholesome. That cultivation in turn leads to the quality of stillness and brightness within the heart, the quality of concentration, 
then aspects of wisdom can arise. Where we are able to see what is appropriate or necessary, what needs to be let go of and what needs to be cultivated. That's the function of wisdom and the appropriate response to the fact that all phenomena are fundamentally unsatisfactory. Both elements of the truth are necessary to create an abiding place of peace and freedom. This teaching comes up in many ways. There is a verse from the Dhammapada that Ajahn Chah quoted frequently, as do many teachers in the forest tradition. The self is the refuge of self. What other refuge could there be? If we just look at this statement of truth, the teaching is incomplete. Taken literally, it's easy to misinterpret. Well, I am totally independent. Nobody is going to look after me. I'm going to have to look after myself and get what I need or want because that's what the Buddha taught. Actually, what the Buddha taught is more of a statement of truth regarding the condition of things. We can't rely on anybody else. When somebody else eats, we don't get full. When somebody else experiences one of the sense doors, we don't hear, taste, or smell it. In that sense, we are independent and separate. In that way, one needs to take oneself as a refuge. There is no other self. However, the teaching is not yet complete. The couplet uh, goes on to describe the way of practice. Being well-trained, well-practiced, well-cultivated is what leads to a true refuge or a rare refuge. It is the symmetry between the two aspects of wisdom that completes the picture. In order to find our true refuge, we need to train and be well-trained. That's where the cultivation of that which is skillful and grounded in the wholesome is needed. The Buddha taught many times over that it is through association with the wise and those who are steeped in goodness that we grow in Dhamma. It is in this regard that we are actually independent and where it's appropriate to say the self that is not reliant on others. We can examine the teachings and look at experience with the eye of the Buddha and ask, what is true? What is the best way to practice with it? What is the most skillful way to live with it? So using and reflecting on, am I feeling happy? Am I feeling calm? Am, is my mind bright? as an indication to the actions that we have taken to this point that we are taking in the present. And if we're on the path of Dhamma or if we're steering down a lane that's going to end up in some dissatisfaction and discontent. Pay attention if we're suffering, if we're dissatisfied, if we're discontent, we are likely making some reference of this experience to ourselves. This is what it means about me. Set that down for a moment and just be present with this feeling. Open up to the larger picture and allow wisdom to come in and lift the heart and the mind. It's, it's expansive and it's unentangled from the sense of self.